Relationships are constantly in need of some form of reset, even if it's simply minor maintenance. This message is the fifth in the series, I Will Reset. The message is entitled, Resetting Your Relationships, Part Two. Here is Pastor Dalo Shields. Grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets as we turn our attention to God's Word this weekend. Uh, I want to just mention a couple of things as we're getting ready to study the Scriptures this morning. Just want to remind you that next weekend is Baptism Weekend. If you have not been baptized, uh, water baptized since becoming a believer in Jesus Christ, it's a great opportunity for you to do that. Next weekend it happens at all of our uh, campuses at all, after all of our services. It's very easy to do. Just go to guest services. They can give you all the information about how to get signed up for baptism or simply show up for baptism next weekend. It'll be a great blessing in your life. Also, as already been mentioned, James Brown will be with us next week as well. So don't miss him. Bring a friend to be a part of that. Today we're going to continue our series together called I Will Reset. I want to talk to you about resetting the relationships in your life. And we started talking about this last weekend. I want to continue the theme this weekend together. And we're looking at the whole theme of how do we experience the best and more life that Jesus has for us. When you and I invited Jesus into our hearts, the scripture says that uh, Jesus himself said that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came so you could have life and have it more abundantly. So Jesus has a more abundant life for you, a life that is rich and full, a more kind of life than you can ever experience apart from Jesus. But this more life requires us learning how to walk with God. It doesn't just happen automatically. There's something that, things that we have to learn along the way and places we have to start cooperating with God so that he does his part, but we also do our part. And part of our part is making the right decisions along the way and learning how to make right decisions. Sometimes we don't always get it right, but we're learning in that process of learning how to do things in a much better way. And one of those decisions is to learn how to continually reset your life as your life needs to be reset along your journey. What I mean by that is this. In life, all of us have the tendency to drift, don't we? We have a tendency to drift from God. We have a tendency to drift from people. We have a tendency to drift in lots of different ways. As the old hymn writer said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. There is that tendency in all of us that we're prone to wander away. And wandering is just going to happen. It's like a boat that's sitting on a lake. If you just leave it there, it's going to be, it's going to be affected by the, by the wind and the waves that are around it. It's going to drift to some degree. And so we have to come back to our moorings. And that's what I'm talking about when I say learning how to reset. And this is a, something you must learn to do throughout your entire spiritual experience. How do you get back where you need to be when you drift off course? Because what you certainly don't want to do is that when you drift off course, you don't want to continue to drift. You want to get back to where you need to be. And so we're looking at this whole idea as it relates to relationships, okay? How do we get our relationships reset? When they've drifted in a certain way or a certain direction, how do we make sure that we're getting them back where they need to be? And last weekend, I talked about the importance of understanding God's rules or God's uh, requirements for relationships and how we are to handle things God's way. And we looked at a number of different relationships in Scripture. And if you missed last weekend's message, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. It's free online at church-redeemer.org. Just download that MP3 and review that message. Today, I'm going to talk to you about four other things that will help you to reset relationships in your life. But I would venture to say that every person here today, you have at least one relationship that could be better than it is right now. Would you agree with me? Okay. At least one relationship in your life that you need to perhaps reset and improve upon. And so let's talk about four things today that will help you to more effectively reset the relationships in your life. Number one today is you must learn how to examine your relationships. That is, 
taking time to look at where your relationships are. You can't reset anything that you haven't evaluated. And so I would encourage you as you're thinking about in this series and thinking about where you are in your life is to simply ask yourself this question, what is the current state of my key relationships? First of all, what is the current state of my key relationship with God? How am I with God? Have I drifted from God? Do I need to address some things in my life and my relationship with God? And then if you're married, how am I in my relationship with my spouse? And then beyond that, the other spheres of life and the circles of your life influences and life relationships. And so beginning to understand how to better handle those things and to find out what the current state is. In essence, I'm encouraging you to do some relationship changes checkups. You know, every year if you're taking care of your health, you most likely will go to the doctor for your annual physical. It's amazing how many of us will be attentive to an annual physical, but we never do an annual or a periodic checkup on key other relationships in our life. And so let me encourage you to think about your relationship health. What are the needs in, in the relationship of your life right now? Because you can't reset something until you know its current state. So you have to do some evaluation. The second thing, and this is where I want to spend most of my time today, and that's this. You have to learn to start taking, once you've evaluated, you have to start taking some re- Reset steps. That's a key word there, reset steps. When your computer begins to mess up, uh, you can't think it back into a reset. You have to actually go through a process, right? You actually find the reset process on the computer. You go down and you click it. You run through the sequence that's there. Or if it's on your smartphone, there's a certain set of buttons that you press that give you the reset uh, uh, process. But some action is necessary. So resetting has to move from thought to action. You can't just think a reset. You have to act to reset. Resetting is an action. It's not an idea. It's not a good intention. And thinking about these things are not going to resolve these things. You have to start doing some things. You can't think a reset. You have to do a reset. Okay? And so there are key actions that you need to do once you've evaluated where you are in your relationships right now. There's some action steps that you need to take and take them now, not later. Because here's the tendency that we have, especially when it comes to relationships. We'll say, I'll deal with that later. We have what I would call the manana syndrome. And the manana syndrome is I'll address it sometimes later. I'll deal, I'll deal with it somewhere in the future. I'll get around to it. How many of you have a lot of around to it's in your life, right? Okay. I'll finally get around to it one day. But the scripture doesn't call us to a manana mentality. The scripture calls us to an oi mentality. For those of you that don't know Spanish, that's today, okay? Today is the day of salvation. Today is the time. Now is the time, the Bible says. And so what I want to charge you with today is having evaluated, thinking about some of your relationships to say, okay, what do I need to do right now? What steps do I need to take now? Not sometime in the future. Maybe I'll get around to it. But what do I need to do right now? So I'm going to give you eight actions that you can do to reset any relationship in your life. Eight actions you can take that will get you back and center with any relationship in your life. These are not all the actions, but these are eight things that I promise you have great power. Number one, I'm going to ask you to read them with me aloud and loudly across all of our campuses. So let's read enthusiastically. The first one is this, investment of time and treasure. Perhaps a relationship in your life, all that it needs right now is for you to give it a little more time than you've been giving it. And just the investment of your time 
That one simple thing, just giving a little extra time to that spouse or significantly more time to that spouse than you have been giving or time to that friendship or time to whatever it might be to say, you know what, this is valuable. This is a priority in my life. And so a simple investment of time many times can turn things around very, very significantly. Sometimes it's an investment of your treasure. What I mean by that is it might be just a gift. How many know that a gift can solve a lot of problems sometimes? Just giving some a gift. Say, I just want you to know I love you. Here's a gift. I was thinking about you. And you don't buy these things, but it's a way that you express your love and adoration and care for another person. Sometimes it's a note, an expression of love, an expression of encouragement, an expression of appreciation. So for some of you, when you go home today, perhaps the best thing you can do is to pick up the phone and call someone and say, hey, can we go out and have some coffee together? I just want to spend some time with you. Or maybe it's sending them a really nice appreciation note or text or email and letting them know how much you care about them. Maybe for somebody, maybe it's buying them some flowers or doing something nice for them, but you're doing something that is expressing an investment that will bring about a reset. Many, many relationships, that is all they need. They don't need anything else. All they need is that, okay? And if you would do that, it gets things right back to where they need to be. Number two, the second thing that will help reset relationships are apologies. Read it with me. Apologies, forgiveness, and seeking reconciliation. One of the most significant reset buttons in a relationship is a sincere, personally owned, kind, humble apology. It's one of the toughest things that people ever do. For many of us, to say I'm sorry is perhaps the equivalent of just the most excruciating thing we could imagine. Because it's admitting that we're wrong. But you know, the reality is, is that all of us mess up at times, don't we? And the apology to say, I am sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me, is extremely powerful in the terms of resetting a relationship. Those words are difficult. I've had you to practice those words with me before. And I think it's probably a good thing for us to practice them again. Would you say with me today, I am sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. Now check yourself, you're still alive, aren't you? Okay. Okay. We were so reticent in a relationship to own up to our mistakes and failures because we think that someone is going to uh, be less than gracious toward us. But I found that apologies elicit grace. They elicit care. They elicit a sense, uh, they attract a sense of compassion and care from another person. And so for some of you, the best thing you can do in a relationship that has perhaps drifted a bit is for you to take the initiative and to go to that person and say, I want you to know, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. I was wrong. And to own up to the area where you've drifted in that relationship. Don't say, hey, I'm sorry you were wrong. That doesn't work, okay? Or I'm sorry for how you made me feel. That doesn't work, okay? That's not an apology. A lot of people apologize that way. Some people say, well, apologies. No, you, an apology is not apologies. Apologies is, I'm sorry, please forgive me, I was wrong, I'm asking for your forgiveness for, and then you name what you were asking forgiveness for. And when you do that, there's an amazing thing that can happen to bring about restoration. Let me also say this as well. When you apologize genuinely and sincerely to someone, don't put anything on them, own it yourself, amen? It's not what you're doing to them, it's what you're owning for yourself, And if you're receiving an apology from someone, when they ask you to forgive them, don't say something like this, I'll think about it, okay? We'll see. 
okay, maybe, or set up all these little hoops that people have to jump through. Well, I'll forgive you if this, that, and the other thing. Because that kind of forgiveness is not real forgiveness. It is not, in fact, forgiveness at all. And so forgiveness, I mean, you know that when you go to God and you say, God, please forgive me. He doesn't say, okay, if you'll do the following things, I'll forgive you. I'll think about it. No. God is responsive to us whenever we ask for forgiveness. And we need to be the same toward others as God is toward us. The third thing that will help to reset a relationship, read it together with me. Prayer, interceding for insight or against spiritual attack. One of the things that will happen in your relationships at times is there'll be the, the, the devil will show up in your, your relationships. Did you know that? Because the devil loves to divide. That's his, that's his whole orientation. The devil is not a unifier. The devil is a divider. And so the devil will show up and try to create cute confusion and conflict and contention and strife in the relationships of your life. And perhaps the best thing that you can do many times instead of trying to address it with the person is to address it in your prayer, your intercession with God. Because I've discovered over the years that there's great power when I pray for my relationships. And what I've learned in this is when I'm praying for relationships, I'm not praying for God to change you. I'm praying for God to intervene in those relationships and to drive back the works of darkness. And I've also discovered that as I pray for relationships, that God will often reveal to me things that I need to know about those relationships in my life that will make me better. It's not about changing you. It's about inviting God to work in the relationship and inviting God to work in your life. And so let me ask you, how often do you pray for the key relationships in your life? I mean, not just pray for the person, but pray for the relationship, for the strengthening of that relationship, for the growth of that relationship. And so you nurture it. You stand against the infiltration of the adversary in that realm. Number four, the fourth thing. Read with me. Practical. You guys, come on, help me out this morning. Here we go. Practical assistance, providing meaningful, proactive, practical help or service. Let me just boil that down to this. We're talking about how do you reset a relationship, right? Often relationships are made better when we forget what we're trying to get from another person and begin to give and serve the other person instead. Let me show you the, the degeneration of a relationship. When you first start a good relationship with a person, whether it's marriage or friendship or whatever it might be, the primary orientation of the early stages of a relationship uh, is giving, okay? That's the primary orientation. Every, every time you start a new job. You start a new job with, how can I give to this com company? How can I invest in this company? Yeah, how can I make this? How can I do my job well? So anytime you start a friendship, it's all about giving to that person. You found out something that you, you found a kindred spirit there and there's a giving dimension. When you start, uh, when you started your relationship with your spouse, it started out with giving. You brought them flowers. You did all kinds of things for them. And so there's a giving orientation. But over time, what relationships do is that they drift from giving to getting. Okay. It's no longer what I'm giving to you. It's what, what am I getting from you, okay? There's this natural process, sinful but natural process of generating or ge degenerating from the giving mindset to the getting mindset. And so what will help you to reset a relationship is to get back to the giving and away from the getting, okay? Not what am I getting from this, but what can I give to this other person? Think about it whenever, I know when I was first started dating my wife, uh, one of the things, I'm a bit from the old school, and so I have a little bit of, bit of chivalry in me still, and so uh, when, I, I think still appropriate thing, uh, that when I would pick her up for a date, I would, uh, or we would go anywhere, I always open the car door for her, okay? It's amazing what happens after you get married. What's wrong? You don't have arms? Okay. All right. All right. You with me? All right. 
And so there's this degeneration. You know, you're, you're taking care of the other person. You're thinking about them, opening the door for them. And then before long, it's kind of like, okay, you take care of yourself. And by the way, while you're taking care of yourself, take care of me too. Okay, right? So there's this de- degeneration. And so resets happen when you stop for a moment and say, whoa, time out. Where have I drifted from the giving to the getting, and how can I get back to the giving so that I can reset this thing in a good way? Number five, fifth thing here, read with me together, gaining clarification or recalibration of expectations and our roles, boundaries, or relationship etiquette and rules. That is a horrible statement, by the way. If I was rewriting it, I would rewrite it very differently. It's highly technical, but let me break it down for you, okay? That was the technical teacher in me, so just forget that, okay? If I write, I'll give it to you this way, okay? What happens is this. Sometimes in relationships, you have to clarify expectations, right? Because what you do over time is you begin to expect things from another person that you don't tell them about, okay? And then you hold them accountable for things they don't even know that you're expecting them to do. So you have this expectation in your mind that they should be doing this and should be doing that. And they don't even know what it is that you're expecting them of. You're walking around disappointed and frustrated in them because you've raised a level of expectation that either, either is unstated, unclarified, or unrealistic, okay? And many times those, those expectations really are unrealistic. Sometimes they're just simply unclarified. But there are times you have to stop. So with timeout, let me review what my expectations are. Let me readjust them. Let me have a conversation if necessary to help us to understand what our expectations of one another may be. Number six, the sixth thing here is there has to be the removal of judgment, criticism, or condemnation. That's how you reset a relationship. Read with me again. Removal of judgment, criticism, or condemnation. How can I best describe this for you? Uh, Sometimes our perspective of another person gets really clouded because we begin to judge them, we begin to be critical of them, and we begin to condemn them in some way because of a negative perspective we've developed of them. And anytime you become judgmental of another person, anytime you become critical of them, that's your words that you speak in a critical nature coming from a critical attitude in your heart, and you have a condemning spirit toward another person, you can't build unity, you're only going to build division, you're only going to build walls, that's all, judgment, criticism, and condemnation always build walls, they never help, they always hurt, okay, and so that's why God approaches us, that's why Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world, I came to the world so the world might be saved, so Jesus said, I came not to bring condemnation to you, because if you felt like God was always condemning you, would you want a relationship with God, would you? Of course not. None of us would want a relationship with God if we felt like God was always condemning us, right? And so sometimes the reason we're not having good relationships with another person is because there's condemnation in us toward the other person. There's judgment in us toward the other person. There's criticism in us toward the other person. And so because of that, we're actually our own worst enemy in terms of the relationship being what it needs to be, okay? And so what we have to do is address that in our life. And one of the ways you address the remove, you, you remove judgment and criticism and condemnation is by appreciation, okay? Appreciation is what, what addresses the stuff. Because what you appreciate, appreciates, okay? And when you appreciate someone, and you, the way you do that is by looking for what is good rather than looking for what's bad. Looking for what is positive instead of looking for what is negative. You can find something negative about everybody. You know that, right? It's not a single person that you can, if you search long enough, find something you couldn't criticize them for. And the same is true in your direction toward you. And so this, bring, this builds walls. It builds walls of hostility. It builds walls of isolation. Number seven, 
The seventh thing, read together. The dismantling of false imaginations. Let me read a verse of scripture to you. It's not on your notes, but I'll read it for you from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 5. Listen to this. Paul writes these words inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Paul says if we're not careful, we can have imaginations and high things in our minds that go against the knowledge of God and that lead us into captivity. And so we're to take captive those thoughts and bring them into the obedience of Christ. Let me explain what that means. What's a false imagination? A false imagination is something you've built up in your mind about another person that has no basis necessarily in reality. Just you've built it in your mind. It happens to you all the time. You walk by a person, they don't smile at you. What does your imagination do? Come on, help me out. What does it do? What do you, where do you go to generally? As soon as you walk by a person that you expected to say hi to you and be nice to you and they didn't, where does your imagination go? Negative, right? They don't like me. What did I do wrong? You know, uh, I'm just not going to like them anymore, whatever the case might be. They're, they're, they're an idiot anyway, okay? Whatever it might be, okay? Your mind goes in that direction, correct? Okay. So, now, do we know that that was true? No. We, maybe they were t completely thinking about something. You know, most of the time you think people are thinking about you, they're not thinking about you at all. Okay. We spend all of our time worrying about what people think about us, and most of the times they're not even thinking about us. Okay. It's reality. So we build our whole world around these false imaginations. And so you have to filter this stuff out. Okay. You can't let, because it'll affect you. Now, what's going to happen the next time you see that person? But you have that false imagination in your mind. How are you going to respond back to them? You're going to respond on the basis of what's in your head basis rather than what's in reality. Are you with me today? Are you with me, church? Okay. And so these are things that are very, very real in the way that we work and the way we interact. It's something we all do. I deal with it from time to time. We all deal with this kind of stuff. And then number eight, the eighth thing, read together. Relational education, information, insight. One of the best things you can do to reset a relationship is to just... Learn some stuff about relationships because relationship building is a skill, okay? And so you can actually develop skills like any other skill, but you can't do it unless you do some study, okay? You know, to, to be good at anything, you have to study at it. You've got to put some effort into it. You can't be a good anything professionally or otherwise unless you actually apply yourself to some learning. And the same is true when it comes to relationships. When was the last time you read a good godly relationship book? When was the last time you took a good godly relationship class? There are all kind of resources that are available for us. There are resources at our church and our life study classes that are available for helping you to build relationships and learn these kind of skills. A uh, great book that I would recommend if you haven't read it. It's The Five Love Languages, a great book. I believe it's Gary Chapman that wrote it. There are books like this that are out there on the market that can help you from a godly perspective learn how to improve the relationships in your life. All through the Bible, we see relationship resets. I talked a few weeks ago about Peter and Jesus, when Peter messed up and how Jesus went to him when he was fishing and Peter, Jesus reset the relationship with Peter. We see in Philippians chapter 4 verse 3, the apostle Paul attempting to bring a reset to, uh, to two ladies in the church at Philippi. He says, and I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the gospel. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Paul says, get them back together again, all right? The third thing today that I want to help you to uh, think about in your life is you want to, if you want to do relationship resets, you've got to give up your need to control others. 
Got a little rumbling in the crowd from that one, okay? <laughs> a relationship reset isn't a forced takeover in another person's life. A relationship reset is not about you venting your, your emotions, your relationship frustrations. That's not what it's about. A relationship reset is not about fixing or changing another person to your liking, okay? When we talk about relationship resets, it's not about that at all. A relationship reset isn't a reset if it makes the relationship work. It, doesn't, it makes the relationship worse, I should say. Let me say it again. A relationship reset is not a relationship reset if in your attempts to reset, you make the relationship worse, correct? If you make it worse rather than better, did you do a reset? No, you messed it up, okay? And so you have to understand that when you do resets, it is never about you controlling another person or getting the other person to be the person that you want them to be. It is never about that because when you try to control another person, you actually make problems worse in a relationship. And by the way, who are you to think that you ought to be controlling anybody else? I mean, nine times out of ten, you can't control yourself, okay? Right? That's true for most of us, okay? We've got stuff in our own lives that we're having a hard time getting a handle on. And so we have to address, address this. And relationship resets are not about your control. They're actually about giving God more control in the relationship. Amen? That's really what it's about. And so when you reset a relationship, it's not about, I want to control this thing. I want to fix you because we've got a problem here. So let's sit down and talk about it. I'm going to fix you. Right? I want to get you in line. Okay? And that's how we approach things at times. But many times what that does is it makes things worse rather than better. And any reset is not about you taking control. It's about giving God more control. Because if God is more in more control of me and God is in more control of you, God will be more in control of us. Amen? You with me? Okay? And so that's what we're looking for. Number four is you need to demonstrate your relationship commitments. Relationships are not built on emotions. They are built on commitments. Every solid relationship is not built on feeling because your feelings will come and go in any relationship. I promise you. There's no relationship that your feeling is going to be awesome all the time. Every relationship will have its feelings up and down. But what makes a relationship strong is a commitment. Okay? I'm talking about every dimension of relationship. You know, from your family, your marriage, your family, to your friendships, to your church relationships, to all those things. They all require commitments. It's about commitment. Okay? And commitment is, commitment is something in your heart. But commitment is also something that you state. Right? Have you noticed that when you buy a house... And you get ready to get the money from the mortgage company to pay for that loan that you're going to pay back. That they don't just say, well, you know what, that's awesome. We just, we just, you know, hey, we know you'll pay. No, they bring you a stack of papers like this, right? And you got to sign about 550 papers where you say, I commit, I commit, I commit, I commit. Why? Because in your, your, your signature, there's a commitment. There's an action. You're saying, I'm committing this. A commitment is not just a feeling. It's not just an internal thing. It's something that is externalized in some way. And what I have learned and continue to learn, and this is not, I'm nowhere near a pro in all this, okay? I'm, I'm in the same journey that you guys are, okay? What I'm continuing to learn here about this is that one of the most powerful things that you can do for a relationship reset at times is to freshly and continually verbalize, state, and restate your commitments to people. Okay? 
It's, you can never say too much, I'm committed to you. Any more than you can say too much, I love you. You can't say that too much. The problem is most of us say it too little. Well, my goodness, I married you 30 years ago. You heard me then. Why do you need to hear it again? Okay. Right. right? But commitments need to be stated and restated. Times that you'll look at your spouse and say, I just want you to know, I know we've been married for X number of years now, or X number of months now, or X number of whatever, decades now. I just want you to know that I'm still committed to you. That the same commitment that I made to you 10 years ago or 20 years ago or whatever it might have been, I'm still committed to you. I'm committed to you. So verbalizing that, saying it, okay? Restating it, restating it over again. Where I started with you, my friendship. You know, we, we began a friendship, you know, 10 years ago. I want you to know, I'm still your friend. I'm still in there. I'm still pulling for you. I'm all for you. I am committed to you, okay? These kind of things are powerful. The statements and restatements of commitment can make a huge difference in a person's life. I want to tell you a story. I'm going to wrap up here with a story, actually some verses that I'll read in just a moment, but I need to set the stage for the verses so you'll understand it. The story I'm going to read for you, or the, the words I'm going to read for you, are found in Ruth chapter 1. In just a moment, I'll read them, as I said, but let me tell you what's going on. There's a husband and wife by the name of Naomi and Elimelech, okay? And Naomi and Elimelech, back in the Old Testament, they lived in Bethlehem of Judah, so they were part of Israel, the southern kingdom of Israel. And because of a famine that happened in Bethlehem, Elimelech and Naomi said, you know what, we're going to move over to Moab, which was a foreign country, it was an idolatrous country, it was not a good move on their part from the standpoint of wisdom, but they did it anyway, and so they moved away from Bethlehem of Judah into the territory of Moab. Okay. They had two sons. After a period of time over in Moab, Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died leaving Naomi a widow with two sons. Her two sons ended up marrying two Moabite women. One was named Orpah, and the other, other was named Ruth. And so there now we have Naomi, a widow. Orpah and Ruth married to Naomi's two sons. And then tragedy strikes again, and both of her sons die. And so now we have three widows, Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. They're living there in the land of Moab. Naomi is away from her home country. She's a widow. She knows that she can't care for fully the other two widows. And so she says to them one day, I'm going back home again. I'm going back to Bethlehem. I'm going back to my home territory of Judah. And I want you all to stay here. You stay here. I'm going there. You stay here. Now listen to what happens in the story, because when, Ruth, when Naomi said to Ruth and Orth, Orpah, you stay here, Orpah said, good, I'll do that. I'm going back. I'm going to stay here with my family. I'll stay here with all these idols. I'll stay here in this territory. I'm not going with you, Naomi. But listen to what happens with Ruth, and this is why she ends up in the pages of the Bible. Listen to what happens. Look, Naomi said to her, verse 15 of Ruth chapter 1, Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. 
But Ruth replied. Notice she verbalized something. She's about to say something. She's about to say something very important. She's about to communicate from her heart a very deep commitment. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back wherever you go. I will go wherever you live. I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her she said nothing more so the two of them continued on their journey you know what was going on there what was going on there is that Ruth was communicating commitment it was a major establishment of the relationship that happened that resulted in Ruth being able to be in a place that God blessed her tremendously where she ended up marrying a man by the name of Boaz and giving birth to a little boy named Obed and Obed gave birth to a boy named Jesse and Jesse became the father of King David and King David became the lineage of our Messiah Jesus Christ the Savior and it all happened because one lady said I'm making a commitment to a relationship one commitment to a relationship so never underestimate the power of your commitments what have we learned today we've learned that you need to start today by examining the relationships in your life. Where are they? And then once you see where they are, what steps will you take? Not tomorrow, but today. You have to give up your need to control other people. It's not about control. It's about God's control. And then make sure that you're demonstrating and communicating your relationship commitments. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. We're so very grateful that you love us and care so deeply about us that you give us your word, your instructions. very practical. We ask you'll take this message and let it apply deeply in our hearts and let us live for you. And let us, Lord, serve you in our relationships the way that will honor you in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God. And we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me, and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name.
If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.